Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. From Justice, in conversation with Edwina Grosvenor. The accounts I heard a mother with a baby being arrested in the middle of the night by police at her home and being told in the police car, tell us where we're dropping the baby or it's going into care. Today, Edwina is speaking to barrister turned criminologist Dr Shona Minson. I came into academic criminology about six or seven years ago, really for a career change when I had children. Mm. Um, Take on something nice and easy. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, yeah. I thought I have a few easy years. And I was writing an essay one day in my master's course about what it was like for women being in prison. And I kept looking to try to find out about their children, what was happening to their children, were there any studies? Because I knew that judges were supposed to think about the children when they sentenced a parent, but I couldn't find any evidence on it. And eventually I found one study done in a women's prison up in um, Askham Grange where they used to have this overnight visiting facility, I'm not sure if it's still there, where children could come and stay with their mum overnight. What, what sort of year was this? So talking? this was in 2011. Right. And it was heartbreaking to read the accounts of these two children and just how much it meant to them to get to spend an evening with their mum. And they just, they did their homework, they watched TV, she cooked them their tea, they went to bed, she read them a story, you know. Was it a first-hand account written by the children or...? Their words were included in it. And I sat in the university library crying because it just got me. And and what I became then sort of angry about in almost the same moment was that these children were being treated completely differently to children who get separated from their parents because of abuse or neglect. And when that happens... Um, In the courts, that happens in the family courts. The child is represented by lawyers that the state pays for. Their welfare is the most important thing in that court. That's all anybody is concerned with. Mm. And if they have to go to live with other people, the state provides them with a new home with foster carers or adoptive parents. The local authority keep checking on them. So we know that, you know, they do our best for those children. Quite rightly, they come, they get provided with a package of support. Yes, yes. And 
you know, by no means is care a, a great situation, but at least we're trying. Mm. Um, but whenever a parent gets sent to prison, what I found was that judges weren't even asking if there were children. And at prison, nobody was saying to a man or a woman who just arrived, do you have children? Who's looking after them? Where are they? And so parents were disappearing off to prison. In worst case scenarios, the children were maybe at school and the first they would know of it would be when mum or dad didn't come to pick them up at the end of the day. And there are about 17,000 children a year as a, a pretty low estimate mm. of how many children actually lose their mum to prison. You think that's the tip of the iceberg? I think it probably is. I think there's more we don't know about. And, of course, there's dads as well going. I, my research has focused on mums and everybody goes, why are you just focusing on mothers? Yeah. And so get that out of the way first. And the reason is that what I was really interested in finding out was what happens when it's a child's primary carer. So the, the person who does most of the looking after of a child, what happens when they go? And that is usually the mother. Not always, of course, <laughs> but usually. Usually it's the mum. And particularly with the prison population, the little we do know is that most primary carers in prison will be women rather than men. So usually when a dad goes to prison, the children will remain with their mum, quite often in the same house, um, and they'll be looked after till dad comes out again. Of course, it's hugely disruptive and problematic for those children as well. But when a mum goes to prison, in most cases, she's been their main carer and there isn't somebody else, there isn't another adult in the household. So if there isn't someone else, um, let's give an example of a woman who comes into court and take that sort of journey right back from that point. So let's call uh, a lady, Jane, Yeah. and she comes into court. Can you sort of pick up from there and sort of walk us through actually what might happen if she say, let's say Jane's got four children? Okay, so... Hopefully, Jane's solicitor or barrister, whoever's representing her, will know about her children because she will have told them. But actually, quite often, lawyers don't ask that question. If Why not? not? Uh, because there has been a tendency for judges and magistrates to not consider children. There is a confusion about gender inequality and some judges feeling, well, it's giving women a sort of... Uh, oh, right, they might get out of jail get a free card. sentence just because she's got children. Exactly. As opposed to thinking this is actually quite an important piece of information. Yes, that it should be important, whether it's a man or a woman, if they're a primary carer. This is about the children, it's not about the adult. But I think women have sometimes been scared that if they do talk about their children, they will be condemned even further because mothers shouldn't do these things. In research terms, we talk about double deviance that you're bad because you've committed a criminal offence, you're even worse because you're a mother and you've committed a criminal offence. So there's been that thing has held people back sometimes um, and some judges have held that view. Mm. So have been extra punitive to okay. mothers. So let's but, say Jane has told her uh -huh. lawyer she's got four children, let's say they're 12 and under. Okay, so what would happen, let's say she's either pleaded guilty to an offence or has been found guilty after a trial... And it comes to sentence. Now, best practice would be that the uh, matter is adjourned so that the probation officer in court can do a pre-sentence report, which means they can go and talk to Jane and she can tell them about her children, tell them about what the impact of any sentence will be on those children. So if a judge is considering sending her to prison, Jane will be able to say, well, if that happens, actually, the children are all going to have to go to different places to live because my mum could only have two of them and they've got two different dads, maybe. So is it down to Jane, is it, to work all that it out? It is absolutely entirely left up to Jane right. to have tried to make those arrangements. Who might not be in her right mind 
yes. I've made this series of films for sentencers on, on these issues and for probation, and the probation officer who's on the films talks about this and talks about how when they are told to go and talk to a woman like Jane, who's just been found guilty of something, her head is all over the place. She's nowhere. And they are having to say, right, tell us about these intimate details of your life. And what really needs to happen is the probation officer says to the court, we need an adjournment or Jane's representatives. An adjournment be means for those who aren't in there. An adjournment means we speech. don't do sentencing today. Right. We pause. Right. And we give a couple of weeks for Jane to go home, tell her children what's happened, make arrangements with her family. And that doesn't normally happen. No. Sometimes it does and what we know is that when it does, it has much better outcomes for the children, unsurprisingly. Yeah. Um, but there are lots of accounts. I've been involved in focus groups in women's prisons. I've interviewed and uh, I had 27 family groups who I talked to while mum was in prison. And the accounts I heard, a mother with a baby being arrested in the middle of the night by police at her home and being told in the police car, tell us where we're dropping the baby or it's going into care. And she just had to give a name and they left the baby there. And she said, when I saw her in prison, she said, that isn't who actually she really wants looking after her child. But it was the only person she could think of in the middle of the night who she could show up with a baby wow. with. So Jane is sitting in the court. Um, she has uh, just received a sentence. So she yep. knows she's about to be taken to prison. She doesn't get to go home. She's got four children currently at maybe four different schools. What happens then? Uh, not good things is the answer. Mm. So when someone is taken from court down into the cells, they're not allowed their phone. They're not allowed a phone call. And they are not allowed to talk to... So say they've had family members have come to court with them. They're not able to go and visit them at that point in the cell and talk to them. Right. There's a woman who was on one of the films I made. Who Her situation was that her, her child was at preschool, at nursery. The keys to her house were in her handbag, which went down to the cell with her. Her dad was in court, so he knew she'd been taken off to prison and he was able to go and collect the child. But they had no means of getting into her house because she had the key and she wasn't allowed to hand it over. And so that four-year-old was picked up that day and had the clothes she was wearing until they, the family were able to arrange to go and visit the mother in prison and get the key. I've heard of other stories where a head teacher has been left with a child at the end of the day who nobody's come for. Eventually, head teacher has gone home with the child because it's got so late, phoned around, phoned social services, and eventually they've discovered the mother has been sent to prison. Wow. I think this probably doesn't happen in, let's say, the majority of cases, but it happens in enough and it shouldn't happen in any. Which is probably why you undertook this research, yes, right? Because you've yes. sort of seen it in, you know, on, on the front line. And the study that you did was the largest study of its kind in England and Wales. Is that right? Yes, but that wasn't hard because nobody had done anything. <laughs> Don't so. do yourself down, Shona. <laughs> Let's not make it bigger than it was. But yes, um, because nobody has really talked about this. Nobody has gone looking to talk to children whose mums were in prison. And there's research in the US and a, a tiny bit here, but not much, where people have talked about their children. But I felt it was really important because this is all about us ignoring the children that we heard from the children themselves um, mm. and that I went and spoke to them and said, what's it like when your mum goes to prison rather than relying on other people thinking what it might be like for them or giving adult accounts? Absolutely, because do you find that actually the debate always gets pulled back to the crime 
of the woman. Absolutely. And then the sort of emotional debate of, well, they've done the crime, they do the time. And actually, we're talking about the children here. We're not talking about a child that's committed a crime. Yes. These children have done absolutely nothing wrong. They're um, equal in value to my children, to your children, to any other child in this country. And our government has said all kinds of things about every child matters. Mm. But seemingly these children don't, or they seem to matter less. And that, um, you know, I still, I feel myself getting sort of a bit worked up even talking about it. That is the crux of why I've done the work I've done since 2011. Because it's just not right. These children matter. These children have value And yet it seems to be okay to push these children aside. When I was doing a bit of reading up on this sort of whole subject, I came across on your website, I think, um, or in one of your blogs where it says, no government agency has responsibility for ensuring the welfare of these children is safeguarded and their rights are protected. Is that really... Yeah, it's quite shocking. The place we find ourselves in. Yes, when I started doing this work, I kept being convinced that I was going to come across something that showed I was wrong, that showed people had done this work, they had taken it into account, there were provisions for these children. And, you know, after several years, I realised I wasn't going to find that anywhere. We've got the Children Act, um, which came out in 1989, sometimes UN Convention on the Rights of the Child, and it says in Section 1 of that that the best interests of the child are the paramount consideration of a court. But that only extends to proceedings in family courts. That's not right. And the UN Convention on the Rights of the Child says that um, the state has a duty to protect children from being discriminated against because of their parents' activities. Right. And that's what's going on here, that these children are discriminated against because of what their parent has done. Discriminated against and entirely forgotten. And, you know, you mentioned sort of feeling yourself getting worked up about it, which um, I feel myself. There's a problem with poverty, and the prison system. And it tends to be vulnerable people from from the low socioeconomic sort of areas that end up there. And it's really difficult to say out loud, but do you think we don't care because we believe as a society, actually, there are a class of people who do not deserve our thoughts and our care and our attentions, therefore their children can be forgotten about as well? I think there's very much that kind of feeling. They're not like us. Hmm. So there was um, Loose Women had a bit of, about this on a few weeks ago when I wrote about it because the Prison Reform Trust have published a really great report called Who Cares About Children Whose um, Mums Are in Prison and it was supposed to be discussing that and supposed to be discussing our lack of concern for children and prisoners and it just got on to being about but the women should have you know thought about their children when they did it and they should have... And I think if any of the people who were saying Bar this... Bar Janet Street Bar Porter, Janet Street, I think, we need to give her yes, a shout-out for not she, lowering herself. And I think some of the other panellists, say Solomon changed her view a little bit as it went through and could see there was an issue about how we're forgetting about these children. But I think that there is a reluctance from people to put themselves in that mother's shoes or that father's shoes and to say, well, even if I've done something wrong, it's not right that my children suffer. You know, Mm -hmm. if the state, because the other thing is most women, as you well know, are in prison for very short sentences Mm. and often for nonviolent crimes and for things that they really shouldn't be in prison for. Absolutely. And there is a growing consensus, um, both at a political level and public um, opinion, that we need to stop sending women to prison or anyone to prison for a short time. There are other ways of punishing people. 
if judges, if magistrates, if the general public could get on board and understand that when you send a primary carer to prison, you devastate their child's life and they don't recover quickly. Um, there's a piece of research published earlier this year which says that children who've had their mum in prison are more likely to die before the age of 65 than their contemporaries. So it's a lifelong thing. Mm. And actually it's unnecessary in most cases. And if we do send, if someone has to be sent to prison because the crime they've committed is so serious that that is the only proper punishment, then we need to provide for their children. The state needs to step in Mm. as that state parent role, as it does when children are separated because of abuse and neglect, and provide what that child needs. From Justice, you're listening to In Conversation with Edwina Grosvenor. Today, Edwina is talking to barrister-turned-criminologist Dr Shona Minson. Earlier this year, the long-awaited-for female offender strategy was published, which is um, really the government coming out and saying how we should be treating women in prison, what... Uh, arrangements we should make for them and and how they will most effectively be cared for and dealt with. What impact do you think the female offender strategy has had on the work that you do? Well, I welcome some of what's said in it uh, because I think... It talks about the fact that short prison sentences are are absolutely pointless. Yeah, and 70% failure rate yes. for women. Yeah, so women are more likely to offend again if they've been given a custodial sentence. And um, it's hardly any wonder because if a woman goes into prison, she'll probably lose her accommodation if she's lost her children and comes out and has no accommodation. She can't get her children back with her. So women are facing, particularly mothers, an utterly hopeless situation. It's very hard to get Um, employment as well. I think that its moves to have uh, more women punished in the community are going to be obviously a great thing for families and for children and are really important. That would be huge for your piece of work, right? Because it means that if women are kept closer to home, they can still be undergoing the inverted commas punishment elements of their sentence. But actually, if they've been convicted for a non-violent crime, they're not a danger to society. No, to remove them is just crazy um, in those situations. And you know, one of the things we haven't touched on at all is about how far women are held from home when they go to prison, that on average, a woman is held 60 miles away from her home. Mm. And for a child to have an adult who's willing to travel 120 miles to take them for a prison visit, who has the money to do so, and the time, because usually prison visits are during the week and during school hours. So as far as a child visiting their mother, yeah, that's problematic. Really problematic. So I had a family in my... Research, he lived on the edge of London and at that time Holloway prison was open and mum was in Holloway and in my mind I was thinking, well, that's not very far, that's quite good. But what they explained to me was visiting was from 10 to 12 or 2 to 3.30, I think. So the children had seen their mother once in four months 
And that was on an, some prisons run a thing called an extended visits day or a children's day where children can have a longer period of time with their mum. And those are fantastic and um, make all the difference to a child to actually have five or six hours where they can just play with their mum. Because usually at a prison visit, if you've managed to pass all the checks and the child will have been searched, a proper pat down search, so mm. they will have been touched in all kinds of places they're not used to a stranger touching them. They will have probably been sniffed by dogs as well and a lot of children find that very frightening and this is once they've gone through various bits of the prison which will have very tall fences and big clangy gates and it's quite it can be quite off-putting even as an adult but for a child it's frightening they go into the visits hall and their mum will be sitting somewhere and they will have to go and sit and in most places their chairs will be arranged opposite their mums I was in a prison recently and the visiting rules were stuck to the tables in between you're allowed one uh, closed mouth kiss at the beginning and end of a visit. And that's because of the risk of passing, passing drugs. drugs. Everyone's hands have to be visible at all times. So children can't just go and, for example, they can't sit in their mum's knee. Um, there might be a play area in the corner of the visits hall with all the attractive toys for children to play in if, if it's a good visits hall. The children want to go and play there. Their mum can't leave her seat. They fall over when they're running around. She can't go and pick them up. So visits are really, really tricky for children because none of the normal way of relating to their mum applies. The little ones do not understand why they can't hug and kiss their mum. They don't understand why she can't pick them up. They don't understand why she can't walk around with them and go and see the toy they want her to see. It sometimes feels like the system is totally designed to just make things worse and worse and worse. And I do understand about um, the risks of visits. I used to work in the visits hall at Style Prison. I used to look after the children. I used to man the tea and coffee bar, so I know exactly what you're talking about. But then coming back to the eyes of the child, how traumatic that must all be. It's really traumatic. And a lot of the children um, or those who were caring for them had made the decision, along with the child's mother, not to bring the children for visits because it was for, for the time they would have for maybe one hour where the child actually felt, got to see their mum, could see she was still all right because that's a big worry they have. Mm. Most children said they liked visits and they hated visits mm. because it was such a confusing thing. For older children, you know, teenagers, um, they don't chat to you on. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact 
you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Demand. So you can't say as a parent, right, our time for interaction is between uh, three and four today. Let's <laughs> yeah. do it. And so lots of the kids would say, well, I don't, that's not what I feel like talking to her or I'm feeling angry at her today because I'm missing her so much. And then the child has all these conflicting emotions and no space to do it. The other thing children find really hard is because the visits, as you say, are so observed, they don't feel they have any privacy. Um, it seemed to be teenage children find this the hardest. Mm. That there were maybe because things... there's cameras also rigged up on every corner and officers standing around yes. the edge of the room watching. Yeah. That's why children didn't want to write or email to their mums either because letters are all checked, emails are all read. So you've got, you know, the teenage girl going through friend dramas and boy dramas at school. The time to talk to her mum about those, well, it's not on the phone because someone might be listening in. It's not in a letter or an email. And then she goes for a visit, but also her brother and her dad are there because they've all had to come together. So nobody can have private conversations um, it's really, really difficult. And I think a lot of judges, when they send a person to prison, a parent, they think, well, the children can visit them. And they have no idea. There's I'm no also... sort of deep thinking that's really gone on there. No. In fact, a family court judge, Mumby, who's recently retired as president of the family division, he said, now that we don't have the death penalty in this country, there is nothing more serious than when a court separates a mother from her young child. And that was wow. in a court decision. So recognise that that is the most serious consequence that there is that we've got. Well, that's quite interesting, isn't it? Drawing that line of um, separation as bereavement, which actually, if you think about someone going off to be killed or executed, of course, that's a bereavement. It's a loss. You know, when your mother is taken away from you, that is also a bereavement and a loss. The grief must be almost as... Yes, I mean, people working in this sort of field talk about children having ambiguous loss. And I came up with this term confined in grief for what I saw that the children are are sad. They are desperately sad. But it's confusing. It's confounding because what it's done when their parent is removed, it's changed their life completely. It's turned it all on on its head. They've maybe had to move home, move school, separate from their siblings, all those different things. Life isn't how they knew it. But also society doesn't understand why they're so sad. Mm. Because coming back to what we talked about earlier, there's this view of, well, their mother must have been a bad mother. She must be a bad woman. And that's so she deserves it. And so the children are feeling this awful grief But unlike a bereavement or even a separation or divorce or anything like that, where people would be really aware that a child would be missing their parent, maybe the child hasn't even told anyone mum's gone to prison because Mm, it's... They might have been embarrassed about that as well. Such an issue. They don't want to say where she's gone. Exactly. Or they, when they do tell people, they don't get the kind of sympathy and concern and love that another child would get when their parent has been you know, separated from them. Um, You think of, say, service families where a parent goes off for a period of time and maybe it's unknown when they'll come back again. For children whose parent is in prison, there's actually no set day that their parent will come out. So they, again, they don't know when it will end. They don't know when it will change. They don't know what it's going to be like when their parent comes out. So if we go back into the court and Jane Mm -hmm. is back there, Jane with the four children, where does social services fit into this 
Um, unfortunately, they don't typically enter. It, it means the children are being left without anyone checking. Some people feel that the intervention of social services is not always welcome. So it's, it's a tricky one. But at the moment, um, the Children Act, which I mentioned, which is this uh, law that applies to family proceedings, has in it, in Section 17, it talks about children in need. And it identifies various groups of children who should be sort of on the radar of social services. Children of prisoners are not categorised currently as children in need. I think that should change. Mm. Um, which means that there's no statutory mandatory duty on social services to become involved when a, a parent goes to prison. There were families in my research who had contacted social services asking for help. In one situation, uh, elderly grandparents, and they had two children coming and they had no beds or bedding or anything for them and they contacted social services and were told, well, we can give you a £50 loan. When I met them five years later, they were still in debt from having bought school uniforms and things for the children at that time. So social services don't tend to provide support if there is some sort of care arrangement in place, which could be the child has gone to anybody I think because local authorities are stretched, if there isn't a mandatory duty, they will not go out of their way to assess the situation. If they have to move school because whoever looks after them lives somewhere away from their school, um, no school in the area has a duty to give them a place. Whereas if they were a foster child coming in, if, if you are a foster carer and you have a child turns up with you one night, a school has to give them a place the next morning. Yeah. There were children who'd been out of education for four or five months because no school in the area would give them a place. So some of the most needy children in our whole society are not deemed as children in need. That's yes, fascinating. Yes. And so, you know, their education takes a great knock at that point, um, along with everything else that's going on for them. What we seem to be doing is sort of creating more and more victims Yes. Even though the system itself is sort of geared up to try and minimise sort of trauma on victims. And actually, it just seems so depressing and so futile that actually, through our great British justice system, we're traumatising small children. And I wonder if there's um, any research that indicates yet the real long-term impact on mental health, addiction. There's lots of research, yes. A lot of it is from the US because they are way ahead of us in terms of the number of people they imprison. And mm. so there yeah. are big data studies on these kind of things. But they are realising there was a book came out in 2014 called Children of the Prison Boom. Those children, the research very sadly shows, are more likely to have mental health problems, drug and alcohol addiction problems. There's a study in the States that showed age 30 they're likely to be earning less than their counterparts. There's a study that says they're more likely to die before the age of 65. There's also links to children more likely to become involved in the criminal justice system. Now of course in saying this, we're not saying this will happen to every child and there's a huge amount of resilience and I have nothing but admiration for the children that I have met. They're dealing with incredibly difficult things. Mm. And quite frankly, if they age. do come through it unscathed and they're resilient people, surely they are the absolute sort of minority. Creme de la creme. Yeah. I mean. <laughs> but I mean, what those children have gone through. And there was one child who appears on, on a film that I've been showing, Judges and Probation, who talks about her mum went in prison when she was eight and she was suicidal, aged eight. And 
it's hard to imagine what that's like. She's now in her teens and still hasn't really overcome. She's she's an incredible individual, but those things have marked her. Mm. And if there is criminal sort of patterns of behaviour following, again, it, it's hardly any wonder because the children that I spoke to were angry that nobody had talked to them before their mum was locked up. And nobody had asked, nobody seemed to care about them. They've, they've got that. They've understood that. Nobody cares about me. I am so unimportant that you can take away my mum and not even check where I'm going to sleep that night. They then feel strongly against our police and our courts and authority figures because these people have, have hurt them really badly. Um, there were a couple of children I met with at one point who probation officer had actually come and chatted to them and had said, look, your mum's probably going to go to prison. Um, where, where would you like to live? What do you think will happen? And they were so... They, they loved that probation officer. Mm. You'd have thought that would be a terrible thing to hear, but they were able to but take on board. that's just something small, like <laughs> communication. Yes. And I think we have completely lost sight of the importance of communicating to people as to what's happening to them, what is going to happen yeah. to them. But the um, adults who had taken on the care of the children in the family groups I met, not one of them had been spoken to by probation or a judge or magistrate before the children lived with them. So they hadn't been consulted. Some of them had terrible health problems, were not in any position to look after the children. There was one family where, in fact, it went to appeal and the judge on appeal described it as Dickensian, the situation these children had been put in because there were a very large number of people sharing two rooms and it wasn't right. So you use the word Dickensian, which I've heard a few times when people are describing elements of our justice system. How much do you think we've actually progressed in 100 or so years? Um, I think there has been some progress. The justice system changes very slowly. There are a number of things that need to happen for us to get the change we need, but we need the change today. The films I did launched January 2018 and already I'm hearing of different decisions being made in courts of women being given suspended sentences or non-custodial sentences because armed with the case law that I've provided lawyers with or whatever, they've gone to the judge and said, hey, you've got to think about the children and these things are changing. So I think there is um, reason to be hopeful. I think that what will bring more change and quicker change would be better judicial communications so that the understanding that senior judges have that this matters are communicated throughout the judiciary and across the magistracy, mm. who, because they are a huge body of volunteers, they sit 13 days a year in court, so they're not there very often. It's very hard to ensure that we've got consistency of practice. But I think we need some very direct guidance from the sentencing counsel or the Lord Chief Justice on this particular point so that everybody understands, you know, from tomorrow, that if you are sentencing an adult, you must check if they are the primary carer of children and then you must work out, find out what's going to happen to those children. There needs to be a change across multi-agencies. Our children's minister children's commissioner they need to get on board with this and say why is there not provision for children whose parents go to prison so who is the most senior person within the courts of england and wales you know because a lot of this stuff comes down to leadership well i think it would be the lord chief justice the most senior judge i have to give a credit where credit's due to judge andrew hatton who is the 
currently the director of the Judicial College, who talks very clearly about what justice means in its broader sense, mm. and that it is not just justice for victims. It's actually about the offender and it's also about their children. And so if a court is trying to do justice, they must do it by all those people. And so, you know, he's shown great leadership. My experience of research with the judges was that they said they were not keen on sending people to prison for short periods. And they said it's because the Lord Chief Justice had communicated with them at one point saying, we need to not send people to prison for short periods. And so that was going ahead. And I think it needs to be that sort of leadership or the Sentencing Council need to set out a guideline that says every time a court has an adult before them who is a primary carer of dependent children, they must get a pre-sentence report. They must consider the welfare of those children as a factor in their sentencing exercise. That's what we need. It would take half a page and it would transform the lives of of these children. I mean, there are other things that will make a difference, like if the cost of children visiting their primary care in prison could be met by the state. The Welsh government um, supported, and there was money put in from Big Lottery and whatever, to provide assistance for children to visit their mums. And it would be somebody who would actually come and drive them or drive them and their granny or whatever and support the child through the visits. It was called Visiting Mum. And what they found was improved outcomes for the children, but also the women... Um, They had fewer disciplinary issues in the prison while the scheme was operating. They had fewer mental health issues because these women were worried about their children and having regular visits with them was helping them be less anxious and scared about what was happening to their kids on the outside, which was helping them just settle a bit more to to dealing with their sentence and getting what they could from it, knowing that they would see their children and the children were being brought by someone they trusted. They were being sort of taken care of but it was evaluated as being a great thing Mm. and then no funding and that's another interesting point we see so many examples of where things work Mm -hmm. and then the evidence is there yes it's proved that it works and then the funding mysteriously dries up just and again unfortunately that feeds into my sad theory that's when we're dealing with people in prison they're issues that we'd rather just sweep under the rug and sort of say do you know what I don't really want to think about these people, let alone care about these people. And that makes me really sad, actually. Yeah, I think there is a huge amount of othering goes on, that those people are not like us. So their children are not like our children. Absolutely. And they don't matter. And when I have conversations with people about women in prison in particular, I sort of say, look, you're not dealing with Myra Hindley day after day. They are the exception, the Rosemary West, absolute exceptions. What about the women who haven't paid their TV licence, people say? And I've had people very high up in the system say to me, we don't do that, you know, Edwina. And I sort of almost shoot through the roof at that point Um, because the 17 women currently today serving time in our prisons for not paying their TV licences. I worked with a girl who was 23 who was driving her car, lovely girl, driving her car, looking at her phone. She was sending a text message and she hit someone. She wasn't driving particularly fast. She shouldn't have been on her phone, of course. Um, she hit someone and she killed someone and she served um, I don't don't know how many years but it was a good few years and she came out her life's broken of course you know she's taken another life you know this isn't about those others Mm -hmm. and I sometimes wonder whether that's what the scary thing is people just don't want to go there 
or maybe it's just because people really just this isn't an area of life actually they ever think about i think that for most people it's about some sort of personal contact there's an annual children of prisoners europe conference which is people working for ngos or academics or whatever across europe concerned with children whose parents are in prison and i've taken to asking everybody as an introductory question why are you doing this work and almost everybody has some sort of moment where they met someone who had been punished for a criminal offense and they had this like aha moment where they went you're just like me Mm. If things had been different, I could have been in all of that. And that has motivated them. They've then seen what happens to those people's children. And they have been motivated to bring change. I mean, I met my first murderer when I was 22 or 23 as a pupil barrister. And it was a very complicated, long trial. And so I saw this guy every day. And that was my epiphany where I went, oh, my goodness, this person. Yes, he has killed somebody. But he was personable and there were all sorts of things and it made me think actually there's a lot about life circumstances, about poverty, about chances that put us in different places. Mm. And I think it's somehow we need to break down this barrier so that people start to integrate these thoughts and Mm. not be frightened by them. And it's not them and us, it's just us actually. Yeah, and a lot of countries, I know, you know, the UK hates, likes to think it's the best at all sorts of things. (laughs) There are a lot of other countries doing this much better Mm. than we are. In Argentina, I think it was recently, they've said that no pregnant woman can be sent to prison. Yeah. It can be remanded. There are, in Italy, they will give you sort of home detention if you've got children under the age of, I think it's maybe 11. Um, There are other countries where you can, if you're going to serve a prison sentence, you sort of can say when that will be. So maybe if you have a small baby or a small child, you say, well, can it be when they're five and they go to school and they'll live with my whoever? And I think it's kind of having to remove the emotion from policy and legislation and how we do things. We have to be above emotion when it comes to designing um, what works. And and we know what works. We know the system that we have at the minute is bad to awful. We only ever understand a very limited bit of life, the bit that we know about, the bit that we've experienced. But I think everybody can think of a child they know and they can think of the helplessness of a child at different stages the needs of a child at different stages and what it's like for a child to not have a parent and usually that is something that as a society we grieve over Mm. if a child loses their parent short or long term for any reason it breaks our hearts and a good exercise I suppose for anyone listening father or mother which is what I'm doing in my head and often do when we talk about these things is I imagine myself in a court. I've just been sentenced and my three children are in school. What effect that would have on me. And I think that would rise in you. Yeah. And just, (laughs) I think putting yourself in the position of that person in court, it doesn't matter about the crime for the sake of putting yourself in the shoes of that person, putting yourself in the shoes of those children um, and having no idea and no control over what happens to them next, who picks them up, who gives them tea, who tucks them into bed that night, what bed are they going to be tucked up into? When are you next going to see them? So Shona, thank you so much. As always, it's been wonderful talking to you. Thank you for having me. Slightly depressing. Mm -hmm. Um, But I, like you, remain wildly optimistic about the fact that really the only way is up and that hopefully through your work and everything that you've done and everything that you'll continue to do in this space, we can can make a real change. I hope so. Thank you. Thank you. Edwina was in conversation with barrister-turned-criminologist Dr Shona Minson. (music) 
next time on Justice. We've made huge advances and we're much more knowledgeable and it's on the agenda now that the law can let women down. Baroness Helena Kennedy QC speaks to Edwina about her new book, Eve Was Shamed, How British Justice is Failing Women. The seriousness of this came to the fore with Me Too. Yeah. And what young women are saying is that, um, you know, we're not getting justice from the courts, therefore we're going to go for ourselves on online. And I'm saying in this book, well, that's not the way to get justice. But we have to ask ourselves, why is it that women feel so let down by the system? And I mean, certainly a lot has happened, um, but we still haven't got right down into the attitudes and the cultural change that has to take place in order Mm. to get justice for women. That's next time on the Justice Podcast. This podcast is brought to you in association with One Small Thing. For more information, go to onesmallthing.org.uk. Justice is an MIM production. For more information, go to madeinmanchester.tv. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.